How many of us are ready for God's word? Are you? Good, 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 good. Now, last week, I, I preached a message that maybe caught some of you off guard. I talked about the history of, our, of the church universal and how it, it entered into a dark period, a dark age. We talked about some of the practices that, that the enemy introduced in order to rob us of the gospel message, rob us of, of walking by faith. You know, and so what I want just to understand is, you know, the the gospel of grace was being preached in the first century, in the second century. By the third century, the enemy said, I got to do something about this or the whole world is going to know about Jesus Christ. Now, I need you to, I want you to think about something with me. Do you think the enemy thinks he can beat Jesus in the end? You know, in the end, there's going to be a fight, if you can call it that. Jesus will show up. He will set foot on the Mount of Olives and Armageddon will take place in the Valley of Megiddo and, and it, he's going to defeat the enemy by the word of his mouth. He created all of the universe with a word. He can defeat the enemy with a word. It's not going to be a fight. So if you think Satan is, is stupid or that he doesn't know that he cannot win, he knows he cannot win. I believe this is his, his, his ploy. His ploy is to keep Jesus from ever coming back. How do you do that? Well, Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached in all the earth as a testimony to me, and then the end will come. How do I keep the end from coming? Keep, keep the gospel from being preached to everyone. Don't let me get started on AI and, and, and mind control and all these other things that he's, he's going to be introducing in the near future, trying to keep us from ever having a choice of hearing the gospel. You know, if, 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 if his ploy is not to have a fight. With, he doesn't want to fight Jesus. He wants to keep Jesus from ever coming back. And the way you do that is you prolong people from hearing the gospel. If people don't hear the gospel, then, it, it, then Jesus doesn't return. Now, why does, this, why does this have anything to do with what I just started saying? Uh, look, first century church was growing. Second century church was growing. The more he came against her, the more she exploded. Then he said, ah, I've got to infiltrate and change the gospel message. If I can change the gospel message and make it a works-based righteousness, that entered us into the dark ages. The dark ages were characterized by us not understanding the love of the Father. We thought that God was an angry, vengeful God. That there was nothing we could do to work our way into His good graces and we were always feeling condemned. And those that were in power were okay with us feeling that way. Now, the gospel message was being suppressed because the word of God was not put into the hands of the people. Now, we came out of the dark ages, and, and you say, so that doesn't apply to us anymore. Now we have the word of God on, in every home. How many of us have multiple copies of, of God's word in our home? I believe we all have access to God's word. Son, can you put my time up there? Or I'm liable to just keep preaching like I did in first service. I just kept preaching and preaching and preaching. And so this is, this is what I want us to understand. The reason I, I talked on that is because the same thing happens 
not on the macro level, but on the micro level. The macro means this is how he attacked the church. The micro is this is how he attacks you. When you first have the gospel of grace preached to you and you come to salvation, you are unstoppable. But then he wants you to go back to the dark ages, even if it is in your own personal mindset. How so? Well, that's what we're talking about here today. Stay with me on this. Uh Uh-oh. I need my notes. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that I could, I could get this taken care of. No, those are not. Those are last week's notes. No, no, I'm, I'm good. They're, they're, um, here we go. I want you to read with me in the book of Romans. That's where our focal passage came from. And it said, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. What are we talking about here? One guy sins, and that sin brings death, okay? That's the simple way of putting it. One guy sins. Who's the one guy? Adam. Adam is the one guy. He sins, and death begins to reign in, in, in mankind, in human beings. We begin, we become sinners. We are born into sin. You say, but I don't know about that. Listen, if you've ever raised a two-year-old, you know about that. Because you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be selfish. You don't have to be, teach a two-year-old how to want his way or her way. You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to beat up another two-year-old. They do that naturally. And so this is an indication that sin and death is reigning in mankind. Much more those who receive abundance of grace. Now we have this concept of grace introduced. So we have an offense that brings what? Death. Now we have what? Grace. What is grace? It's a gift that we don't deserve. Unmerited. It's favor. Okay, so watch this. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, now I want you to mark the word righteousness. These are technical terms that Paul is trying to convey a technical uh, uh, theology to us. You say, I don't get involved with theology. Theology is your belief system. And what you believe will come out in the way you live. It will. It has to. Your actions are determined by what you believe. And today we're going to be talking about belief. Watch this. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Okay, judgment, death, condemnation. Let's say it's on this side of the stage. Death, judgment, condemnation. Those are serious terms. Now watch what Paul says here. Even so, through one's man, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all. Okay, so now on this side we have life, grace, free gift for all. Okay, so Adam gives us death, judgment, condemnation. Jesus gives us what? Righteousness, life, free gift, grace. These are the two choices. Do you see why the Bible says openly over and over and over, you choose whom you will serve, either the enemy or the giver of life. You choose life, 
life or death. You choose for yourself how you're going to believe. This is, the, this is the question of life right here. Watch this. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. What am I saying here? I'm saying this, that when you believe in Jesus Christ, he moves you from a position of death, from a place of being guilty, from a place of being unrighteous and unjust. Those are technical terms because God the Father will someday judge the world. And those are terms that you use in a courtroom. And so Paul is literally saying, when you don't know Jesus, you are dead. You're a dead man walking. What does it mean, dead man walking? It means he's already been sentenced. He's on death row. They just got to carry it out. It's going to happen. But what if you get a pardon by the Son of God? This is the way the pardon works. The pardon works in that Jesus says, I'll pay the price for him. I'll pay the price to satisfy God's justice, to satisfy God's righteousness. And when you believe in Jesus, you are pronounced just. Why? Because the blood of Jesus covers you from head to toe, washes you white as snow. Covers you from head to toe, washes you white as snow. You no longer stand in your guilt. You no longer stand in Adam's unforgiveness and death and condemnation. You are now saved. That's important. It's important because this is what I've came to tell you today. The verse where, where Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that you don't have to die, you don't have to be guilty, you don't have to be condemned, you can be saved. There is another way and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Why do you think Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Life, okay. So watch what Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Mark that word down, believe, believe. That's what we're talking about here today. Remember I said, what you believe affects the way you act, the way you live. What do you believe? And the enemy wants you to go back into the dark ages in your belief. Because this is the way you're saved. Watch this. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is a quote from the book of Habakkuk. You see it here in Romans. You see it in, in Hebrews. And you see it in Galatians. Listen to Galatians. Not that, but that no one is justified by the law. Meaning the law cannot get you there. What is the law? The law says you have to do this. You cannot get there by, by keeping the law perfect. Anyone try to keep the law perfect? That's why Jesus came and told us guys who think we can do it on our own. He said this. He said, you've all, said, you've all heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth. If you've ever looked at another person and thought about it in your mind, you know, you, that, that you just committed adultery. Any adulterers in the room? Okay, so we have liars in the room along with adulterers. 
I'll be the first to admit. Anyone want to admit with me you've been committed adultery? According to the way Jesus defines it. See, we try to define it another way so that we can check the box. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, God is perfect. And this is how perfect he is. He's going to judge you even on your thoughts. And so this is the point. You can't get there through the law. You've got to get there through a substitute. And his name is Jesus. That's the gospel message. Now watch this. The just shall live by faith. That means you are no longer unjust. You are now considered just, which is life. And it's through faith. It's through faith. I want you to turn with me to John 3, 16. Watch this very, very quickly. The just shall live by faith, meaning that's the way you accept Jesus and get salvation. John 3, 16. For God so loved. Now we're talking about God's love. Please make the connection with me that God's love is God's grace. God's love is God's grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you highlight in your Bible or in your Bible app, gave? God is a giving, gracious God. And that's why we give, because we are giving, gracious people, because we are like him. We are his children. So watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believes. If you believe, you will be saved. It's through your belief that you get salvation. For whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You go from death to life. You are considered righteous, justified, just. The just shall live by faith. Watch this. I believe that's faith. I am considered just. That means I go from being unjust to just because he washes me white as snow from head to toe. Watch this. And I will forever live. The just shall live by faith. I will forever live through eternity. That's salvation right there. For whosoever believes in God, believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Watch. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That means God did not send his son to tell you how bad and horrible you are. God did not send his son to condemn you, to beat you up, to make you feel worthless. He came to show you how special you are and how much he loves you. Read it with me. He did not send his son to condemn the world, but to, but to what? But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Dead man walking. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're a dead man walking. It's all over over but the crying. He says, so what do I do? Believe. Believe that God sent his son for you. I don't know if I can do that. Unfortunately, that's something you have to do on your own. Mama can pray for you and daddy can pray for you, but you have to believe on your own. On your own, you have to be able to say, Lord, I trust you. I can remember saying that and being set free. Now watch this. This idea of belief. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 
and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, how do you get God's love? How do you get this grace that you don't deserve? This gift that he gave for you? You get it through faith. Believe. For by grace you have been saved. Not what? Not of works. It is a gift of God. It's not something you did on your own. All you have to do is believe. You say, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Where does obedience come in? No, listen, it's not by effort. It's not by obedience. It's not by doing the right thing. It's by grace through faith. It's not by, stay with me, mijo. It's not by effort. It's not by obedience. It's not by doing the right, come on, put the slide up there, baby boy. The other one. Well, I list the three things out. Not by effort, not by obedience, not by doing the right thing. It's by grace through what? Faith. It's by grace through faith. This is important. This is very, very important because this is how the enemy moves you back into the dark ages in a personal way. Okay, I, I come out of, of the dark, how? By faith. There was that, that moment in time where I said, I need a savior. But then once I'm saved, then the enemy says, now you've got to believe. I mean, now you've got to work. Now you've got to perform. Now you've got to obey. Now you've got to work. Now you've got to perform. Now you've got to obey. Now you've got to earn it. And if you don't earn it, then it's, it's done. God's not happy with you. You're not connecting with God's love. That's a human way of understanding God's love. Watch this. When we start going back and thinking that we have to perform, that we have to earn it, that somehow I've got to be good enough to stay within God's good graces, it produces fear because it puts the onus on us instead of him. This is how it produces fear. This is what we talked about. Watch this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. When you become aware of God's love, that means you get introduced and there is a, you know it. You believe it. It changes your life. There's that belief again. Do you believe that God loves you? Okay, watch this. Do you believe that God loves you and that there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore? No, 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 no. I think we say things as pastors and people say amen, but do you, I want you to take that statement and pray over it this week. Say, Lord, unfold the richness of that statement in my life this week. Help me to understand what it means that there's nothing I can do to have you love me anymore. Your love is perfect. I cannot improve your love by what I do. I cannot diminish your love by what I do. I cannot affect your love for me by my performance, by my effort, and by my obedience. Your love is perfect because you are perfect. When I believe that, then the enemy can no longer manipulate me with fear. How so? See, there was once a day where I didn't understand this and the enemy had me addicted. There was something that I was exposed to when I was a young man and for years into, before I got married, I could not get away from it. And what I thought was, was you know what, the, I need to try harder. 
I need to work harder. I need to put more effort into it. And the more effort I would put into it, the more I would fall. And the more I would fall, the more guilt he would use in shame, which made me try harder. And the more I would fall every time I tried harder because I was doing it in my own strength and he could overpower me so easily in my own strength the more guilt and shame he made. Then it began to really get me with fear, saying, you may not be saved. God doesn't love you. God doesn't uh, approve of you. God doesn't care for you. God is angry with you. God doesn't even listen to your prayers because you can't even live right for him. Can I tell you, that's the cycle of addiction. You know how you get free? You understand that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What is the truth? That Jesus Christ died for you, and there's nothing you can do about it. He loves you, and that's it. All you have to do is believe, and if you believe, it's already done because he said it is finished, and you are the righteousness of Christ. You are set free. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you've got to believe. You say, Pastor, that's how you're saved. But once you're saved, once you're saved, you go back to the dark ages? Paul says, who has bewitched you? that you would trade in grace for works again in the book of Galatians. The just shall live by faith. This is what it means. It means you, you have faith, you're pronounced just, and therefore you get eternal life. That's how you're saved. Guess what? Now that you're saved by faith, continue to walk justly, and that's the way you should live. It doesn't change. You keep living the same way you accepted Christ, by faith. Okay, I'm I'm starting to get this. No, watch this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why can we have boldness? Because we are sons of the king. We are righteous. We are just. We are not guilty. It is finished. That's why I can be bold about judgment day. I don't have to fear judgment day. I'm a son of the king. Listen to this. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That means we are the righteousness of Christ. As Christ is, so am I. Oh, I can never be like Christ. That's dark age thinking. Bible says you are like Christ. You are like Christ. Well, well, well I can't be. I, I, I don't believe that. If you don't believe it, then you never will. But if you see it and you believe it and you understand that you were buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life, a new life. And when you believe that, then the enemy can, well, well, he'll hate it. You know why he'll hate it? Because he won't be able to manipulate you with fear, with fear. What kind of fear? Listen to this. There is no fear in love. When I believe that God loves me, then I know this. If God be for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? And that belief introduces me to his grace. For by grace we have been saved. That's God's love through faith. Faith, I access God's love. When I access God's love, then I understand who I am 
in Christ, that I am his son. How many of you love your children? How much more does God love you? He's perfect. So when I understand his love for me through faith, then that fear begins to leave and the enemy has no way of getting to me. It's fear that he gets to you. Watch this. The Bible says that Joseph was a, was a young man who loved the Lord. And he was good looking. He was rudy. He was good looking. He was, he was full of life. How many of you know that when you love God and his love begins to make its presence in you, it changes your very countenance and people's opinion of you. You know, it's interesting that I get better looking every year because my love of God just grows. And, 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 and you know what? You are getting better looking every year. You know, people come into this house and they're not as good looking. And, and you think like, man, they're not so good looking. But then they start falling in love with God and that smile just radiates. And there's something about their eyes and there's an attractional quality to them. That's called God and his grace. You want to be better looking? Get serious about God. Get serious about God. I'm telling you. Some of you are going, okay, maybe I should stop spending all that money on eye cream and just get serious about God. Get serious about God. I'm serious. Yes. But listen, but you know what's interesting? When the Bible makes this statement about Joseph, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. He doesn't mention anything about his good looks. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't want you to get confused that God was blessing him because of his good looks. God was blessing him because of his belief. Because he had faith in God. And his faith is what acts God's love. Watch this. God was with Joseph and everything he did prospered. Whoa, wait a minute. He was sold into slavery. Now, I need to tell you something. That being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have hardships. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if I had hardships and if they hated me, they're going to hate you. The Bible says that, that Paul cried out to the Lord for help and God said, my grace is sufficient. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that you are granted a grace not only to believe, but to overcome the suffering that you are meant to have even as Jesus suffered. And listen, granted in the Greek literally means graced. But how do you get that grace through the hardship? You got to believe. If you're over here in the dark ages and not believing and thinking it's about you, you're going to find yourself in a horrible hurricane of trouble. Where might Joseph had been had he not believed in God? The hardship was coming. But it was his belief. Every time things seemed to get bad against Joseph, he rose to the top. How? Because of his faith. And he accessed God's favor. And so the Bible says that Joseph believed and God just continued to bless him. Read it with me. Everything Joseph touched, it's right up there. Prospered. Go back to the other verse, Mihal. The first ones I have up there. Uh, chapter 39, verses 2 and 4. You have them? 
Okay, very good. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight of and served him. Then he made him overseer of the house and all that he had, he put under his control and under his authority. Now Joseph was a handsome man in form and in appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes over Joseph and she said, lie with me. And so this is the thing. Just because you have God's blessing doesn't mean you're not going to get tested. See, the enemy's going to test you. But he continued to believe. He believed this. He said, you tell me that no one's going to know, but I know one thing. My God will know. And I will know. And I will not compromise. Why? Because I believe that God loves me. And when when you know how much God loves you, it makes you want to please him. It makes you want to please him. And he says, ma'am, I want to please my God more than I want to sleep with you. And that's the truth. And when he said no, she got upset. And you know how it's, they say, they say there is what? Nothing like a woman's scorn, but what's the exact quote? Hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. Can you tell me where that's found in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. That's Shakespeare. Some of us, some of us, we put everything on the Bible. Well, the Bible said it. I don't know where, but it said it. But here, the Bible proves that out because she got angry because she turned him down. He turned her down, excuse me. He turned her down. She got angry and accused him of a crime he didn't commit. Now, I want to ask you a question. What would you do if you were betrayed by your brothers? They hated you so much, they sold you into slavery. There on the, on the, on the block being sold, you were stripped of your dignity and auctioned completely naked. You were taken into a master's house and accused of a crime you didn't commit. You were thrown into prison, not just any prison, but the, but, but the Pharaoh's prison under the prison, pretty much. You were the worst of the worst. You were forgotten by people you did a favor for to rot there forever. What would you do? I tell you what you would do if you were confident, convinced, and convicted that God was with you and that God loved you. You would do what Joseph did. He trusted. And he knew that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works all things, Romans 8, 28. Come on, write that down. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And you won't see that verse played out until you come up against some giants in your life. Now that's where I want to go next. I want to go to a familiar story in 1 Samuel 17. You see the story here of David and Goliath. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Now this is what took place. Israel's arch enemies or their their most antagonistic foe were the Philistines. Now the Philistines lived in modern day Israel and they would become Israel as David and Solomon and the other kings would conquer. Because remember what, what God told Joshua. He said, I won't give you all of the promised land up front because you won't be able to care for it. So I'll give it to you in pieces. How many of you know God wants to give you his goodness in pieces? But you gotta believe him for it. Believe him so that you will present yourself on the battlefield and fight for it. How do you fight? You don't fight the way man fights. You fight by believing God. 
You fight by unlocking God's goodness. How do you unlock God's goodness? Through faith. So this is what happens. The Philistines begin to march up through a place called, if you look on the map here, look on the map with me, the Shephelah. And the Shephelah is what connects this, this plain region, the coastal plains is where you have the five cities of the Philistine Confederation. Now you have Gath here, furthest uh, east. Now Gath is where Goliath is from. Now they begin to raise an army and they're riding, they're going through the Shephelah. The Shephelah is this beautiful place. If you've ever been there, it's gorgeous, but it's like this luscious, beautiful valley that connects the flatland with the more hillless mountainous region. Now, this is important because if you were an army and you needed to move supplies and move your armed forces quickly and swiftly in order to begin to conquer, you would go through the Shephelah. You would march all the way through the Shephelah and begin to conquer the cities in, in Israel and divide the country. Once you divide the country, then you can conquer, right? So this is what the Philistines began to do. When Saul got word of it, he marched out to meet them and they met at a place called Elah. The Valley of Elah is in the Shephelah. And that is where the two armies were encamped, one on one on the northern ridge and one on the southern ridge with the valley in the middle. They were in deadlock and so the Philistines had a champion. He was 10 foot tall. The Bible says somewhere between 9-6 and 10-6. Depends on how you measure. You say, well, well why is that important? Because I, I want you to know he was huge. He was of the descendants of giants. You remember when Joshua went into the land, there were giants in the land? Well, he's one of them. And he comes out every day and he begins to insult the armies of God. He begins to insult God. He begins to insult everyone and saying, do you not have a champion that can come out and meet me? Can I tell you something? This is the, this is the scenario. He's been doing this for days now. And he has the children of God so riddled with fear. Why? Because they don't understand. It's about belief first. It's about belief first. It's about faith. The enemy is always going to try to attack you here so that he can move you there. What am I saying? So that he can move you away from God's love and have you start thinking that it's something you bring to the table. It's something you do. So David comes riding up and the, the Bible says that he was bringing his brothers some bread and cheese. That's called pizza. Okay, he was delivering pizza to his older brothers and he hears the giant begin to hurl insults. What does David immediately think? This is not acceptable. Why? Because David is not in the dark ages. He's in the light of Jesus Christ. He's in the light of the spirit of God. The Bible says that he has already been anointed by the spirit of God. Do you know when you're anointed, you're anointed by the spirit of God when you accept Jesus as your savior. How do you accept Jesus as your savior? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Faith. Okay, so watch this. He is saved. He is walking in his salvation and faith. He hears this and immediately he thinks, you don't know my God and I won't allow you to say those things about my God. So he thinks to himself, why are you guys allowing this? Let's go out and fight him. If you won't go, I'll go. So his brothers think that he's being arrogant 
And he's just trying to show off because he got anointed. And they report him to Saul. Saul hears of it. He stands before Saul. And this is what I want you to know. The enemy will always come against you and try to intimidate you so that he can have you in fear. He plays psychological warfare first. What does the shephelah have to do with anything? The shephelah is the way he wants to take the easy way into your life. Is there, is there a, a, a place where you sense him marching through to divide and conquer? Maybe it's in your marriage. If he can divide you, then he has your children. Maybe it's something that God asked you to do for him and he's attacking you there and saying, your God's not big enough to perform. Maybe you missed God. Maybe God's too busy for you. Maybe God's not interested in you. Maybe you disappointed God. Maybe it's that sin that God is going to hold against you because you know that sin and he hasn't forgotten it yet. But the Lord says, belief. Belief says God has plunged it in the deepest ocean. He separated it like the east is from the west. He brings it up no more and his thoughts to me are good. He sees me like Jesus Christ. This is important because it's in belief that, G, that David presents himself to fight the Philistine. And Saul, listen, this is, another, this is another key here. Saul is supposed to be on David's side. There will be people on your side that will give you earthly advice. Because they, the, the enemy will use anything he can, even friends and family, to get you to go back here. It's about belief. It's about understanding that God is with me. And if God be with me, who can be against me? So David says, you know, I don't need your armor. I won't put on any of that stuff that that you, I don't even know how to fight with that. But Saul says, how do you expect me to be, how do you expect me to believe that you're going to win? He says, no, listen, I need you to understand. I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion, a tiger. Not really. Some of y'all got it. I've killed lions. I've killed wolves. I've killed bears. What does that mean for you? It means that the enemy will come at you and God will allow him to come at you so that you can build your faith, so that you can trust God more, so that you can believe more. But some of us are running from the lion. Listen, if you run from the lion, you'll never be ready for the giant. Listen, if you're facing a lion right now, gird yourself up in faith and defeat him by believing God is with you. If you're facing a bear, gird up your faith and defeat him because God is with you. And God is going to have you be victorious over the wolf, over the lion, over the bear, so that when the giant shows up, you can say like David, this isn't my first rodeo. I've done this before. I've defeated the lion. I've defeated the bear. I've defeated the wolf. And I've seen God deliver me. I've seen God deliver me. I've seen it. You might be here today and you might say, Pastor, I haven't seen any of that. Then get busy. Get busy. Start believing God for something. I'll tell you. You say, well, well how do, how do, how do I know, how can I attract some wolves? You want to know how to attract some wolves? Come out into the light of Christ. Come on over from the dark side to the... Kanye's about to attract some wolves. I'm, I'm just saying. 
you're going to know if you're real when you come over to the light and people start hating you. That's how you know you're real. So watch this. Come on over, head towards the cross, and the wolves will find you. They do. And then the bears will find you. And then the giant will find you. Because notice, the giant came and camped out in his promised land. David didn't have to go looking for him. The giant came to him. Because the giant will always stand between you and what God has called for you. He will stand between you and a great marriage. He will stand between you and that great job. He will stand between you and your children. He will stand between you and what God has promised. And you better be ready to face him in faith. So while others are cowering, while others are doubting, while others are are in their tent thinking, how am I going to do this? David is saying, how is God going to do it? I'm about to find out because I'm going to present myself before the Lord and the battle is his. Listen to what David says. Put the verse up there, Mijo. All of these that are gathered here today are going to know one thing, that it's not by the sword or by the spear. It's not by might. It's not by chariots. It's not by horses. It's by my spirit, declares the Lord. More specifically in this verse, it says this, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So this is what happens. The enemy starts coming down when he sees something approaching. As they get closer into the valley, show the picture of the valley. It's a big valley. So as he sees this little speck coming down, he starts to go down to him, this 10-foot-tall giant. Now understand something. Shaquille O'Neal is 7'3". He's a foot and three inches taller than me, but he outweighs me considerably because for every inch, you add considerable weight. Now imagine a giant two and a half feet taller than Shaquille. That's huge. He's a foot taller than me, Shaq, but imagine a giant two feet taller than him, two and a half feet taller than him. He weighs a ton. He sees David and he gets angry with David because this is what he says, who am I? that you would disrespect me. Do you not know that I've been, I've been killing men since I was a young person? At the age of about 15, he was probably eight foot tall. He was ripping people apart at, at, as a teenager. And he says, who am I that you bring a boy against me? He's not even armed. And this is how we know that David wasn't armed and he only brought his shepherd staff because the giant says, who am I? Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? I'm not a wolf. That you bring a shepherd staff to get me? I'm about to kill you, rip you limb from limb. And, and David says, no, this day you will know the God of Israel. Talk about faith, a belief, a belief. God is who he says he is, and he says he loves me, and there is no way that you will harm one hair on my head today. So he grabs his sling, and he grabs five rocks. Oh, pastor, five rocks? That's not faith. Oh, that's awesome faith. You know why? Because the Bible says that Goliath had four brothers. That's saying I'm going to kill you with one rock, and I got four for each one of your boys. So you have, uh uh-oh, man, my rock fell. 
Y'all better look out. Because the sports science says that when David twirled this, he was going at about eight revolutions per second. Wait, let me see if I can do this right. I need to do this. Let's just say you got to defeat some lions, some bears, if you're going to be ready for the giant. But this is what it... What you don't understand is that in that valley, there is a particular rock. They're particularly round, and they are made of bromine sulfate, and they're considerably denser than your average rock. And so when it comes out of the sling, the science says that it comes out at about 200 miles per hour plus, that it has the stopping power of a 45 caliber. Now, what if I told you that? What if I told you that God had set it up in such a way that David wasn't walking in there without armor, he was walking in with a 45. And that David was an expert marksman, why? Because this wasn't his first rodeo. And he understood something, that if God be for me, who can be against you? And as the giant was trying to locate him, David took out his 45, shot him right between the eyes. When he fell and hit the ground, he ran over there before anyone could say anything. They were sitting there like this, because that's what God wants to do. And as he gives you of his favor, he wants you to bring him glory. And the way you bring him glory is you overcome the obstacles the enemy comes against you with. I don't know what the enemy is coming against you with, but go quickly, get in the valley, believe the Lord for more, take out your 45 and don't go up there trying to combat with him. Some of you wanna get mix it up with the enemy with your own hands. You got a 45 right here. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. Hit your knees and say, I believe for my family. Though a thousand may fall before me and 10,000 in my right hand, I shall not be touched because God is with me. God is with me. My wife shall be a fruitful vine in my home and my children olive plants around my table and everything that I do will be caused to prosper because God is with me. I don't care what you come against me with, enemy. You won't have my family. You won't have my children. You won't have, I believe. And I fight you in prayer. I fight you in prayer. I'm gonna have our prayer partners come up. And I'm gonna ask a very simple thing for you to come up and pray with them. If you're here today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and the enemy has come at you, maybe it's a lion, maybe it's a wolf, maybe it's a bear, maybe it's a giant. And he's trying to discourage you. He's marching through the shuffle. That means that, that, that strategic area. And he's bringing division in your home. He's bringing division in your faith up here in your mind. And today you need to pray. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Without hesitation, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. 
everyone who has their hands up, just stand up, come up and find somebody to pray with. If you can't find somebody, men with men, women with women, I'm gonna ask you just to line up. Guys, make your prayers short and powerful because we've got a lot of people coming. Come on, encourage. Come on up, come on up.